Think about this. Our brains change. Memory is an amazing. What you think is in our there brains is aren't really finished. They're not fully cooked yet. You go with your heart. You we don't have any idea why yeah, we're, we're doing so smart. most of the things that we're doing. But here's the deal. It's probably a good time of year to talk about civility. I'm Bob Duke. I'm Art Markman. I'm Rebecca McEnroy, and this is Two Guys on Your Head. Today, the psychology of civility. Human communication has lots of challenges associated with it because we don't all think alike and we don't already have the same information in our heads. So when we're talking to other people, we're often liable to bump into differences between people's perceptions of the world and our perceptions of the world. And responses to that vary. I mean, especially when we're talking about, as artists talked about on other shows, about the idea of protected values. You know, you bump up against a protected value and many people react to that with a negative emotion and that leads to other things. But, you know, it's an interesting thing that in order for things to really progress and for people to work together in a constructive way, there have to be ways to have a conversation when everybody doesn't agree. And and that, to me, is the overriding value of having civil discourse, as it's called, meaning that we can express disagreement with the ideas and the notions that people are putting forward without making, um, you know, personal attacks uh, on the people with whom we're interacting. So that opportunity to be able to continue discussions despite whatever disagreements may be on the table, even if they do touch on protected, uh, protected values, is a, is a really important feature of a society being able to cohere and work toward common goals. We've talked a little bit on previous shows about the fact that, that conversation is inherently cooperative. And in order to engage in a cooperative act with someone that you disagree with, you have to signal in some way that you are going to be a respectful and trustworthy conversation partner. And so one of the things that people are looking for, particularly when the topic of the conversation gets tense, is, the pro is signals from the people that they're speaking to that they're going to be treated uh, respectfully, that they're going to be treated as a, a, an equal conversation partner. Otherwise, the conversation ends. And so, you know, when we the first thing we think of when we talk about uh, civil discourse is is some of the markers that we use to signal that we want that conversation to continue. So when we say please and thank you, when we use a calm tone of voice, when we leave space for someone else to say the things that they want to say rather than interrupting them as soon as they get uh, partly down the track with their thought, what we're doing is signaling I respect you and what you have to say enough to engage in a full conversation. And we take a lot of cues immediately. And, and not all of them are with words. Some of them are just facial expression. If somebody looks at you in horror or with anger, you're, you're likely to stop what you're saying and think, well, we have gone beyond the point where we're going to have a, a trusting uh, conversation. And, and at that point, the, you, you, you get out of the mode of, of having conversation and into the mode of, at best, some kind of argument. And we tend to generalize our responses, right? So if I'm bothered by something, all my reactions are connected, right? My facial expression, my tone of voice, my internal feelings, my heart rate, all that stuff kind of goes together. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, and since, since we have the option to think about things 
in a way that has the potential to think about the idea separately from the emotion that's become associated with the idea, that's the basis for continuing the conversation. Because if the idea is either so positive or so negative that the only thing that I'm feeling and thinking about is the emotional response, well, then we're out of business in having a discussion. Right, right. And, and this is learned. Right. One of the things we have to learn to do is to try to control the facial expressions that we have, the tone of voice, so that they don't always reflect exactly what it is that we're feeling in that moment. So if we're having a conversation and you say something that's offensive to me, and I want to continue the conversation, my reaction, initial reaction might be, I'm going to scream at you. I'm going to call you a name. I'm, I'm going to use, you know, all the, all the worst words I can find. But that tends to end the conversation. <laughs> so I now have to engage those frontal lobes, not just to do great thought, but to actually inhibit yeah. or stop the, the reaction I want to have and mask that in order to do some things to try to keep the conversation moving forward, particularly because there are times where we derail conversations when a little bit of additional discussion might have revealed that we actually agree on far more than we disagree yeah. about. Yeah. And so if you react negatively and, and strongly Quickly. negatively mm -hmm. in a hurry, right, mm -hmm. then, then you lose out on the opportunity to discover that while there might be 3% of the world you disagree on, there's that other 97% that you're in agreement on and and you pass that right by in favor of the strong reaction. Right. And and Art, you know, used a couple of adverbs before about, you know, listening respectfully and and and, and patiently and those kinds of things. Well, of course, th those are adjectives and they don't really specify what behaviors are are indicative of respectful listening or patient listening and those kinds of things. And you know, what's interesting to me because as Art mentioned a minute ago, a lot of this capacity to have a discussion even when there are points of even strong disagreement is a learned skill. And I think what we don't do a lot with children, and I would even venture to say with young adults too, I mean, I feel like one of my challenges in class is to teach my students to disagree amicably. But you need a language for that. You need a repertoire of things to do and say that allow you to convey that I don't agree with you, but I still want to hear what you have to say, e even though I may have a counter argument that I may offer in just a second. But often what happens, especially if we're in a group and, and somebody in the group says something offensive and there's some leader of the group, whether it's a teacher or whoever it happens to be, and then somebody refers to what he just said, and I'm not calling Art by name, I'm not looking at Art, it's just he that I'm pointing as I'm looking at somebody else. Well, now I have no opportunity to convey to Art that I have anything but contempt for what he says, and I've shown no indications that I'm interested in actually having a conversation about this. Next week, we'll explore belief revision with Dr. Art Markman and Dr. Bob Duke. David Alvarez, Michael Crawford, and Jake Perlman are our engineers. I'm Rebecca McEnroy, and I produce Two Guys on Your Head at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas.